Alzheimer's. Deb's just a beautiful person. She used to crack up on air. Oh, goodness. <laughs> How the disease ended the career of one of BC's best journalists. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We will have those stories for you in just a moment. But first, human error is the clearest contributing factor in a deadly accident at the Cleveland Dam. That today from the preliminary report into the incident. A father and son were killed when the dam released a torrent of water. Aaron MacArthur has more on the findings and why some doubt Metro Vancouver's promise to take measures to prevent it from ever happening again. The signs are new, warning river users about heavy rains this weekend and the potential for increased stream flows. A quick improvement for safety in light of the tragedy one week ago. Last Thursday, an unexpected release of water from the Cleveland Dam killed one man, and likely his son too. His body yet to be recovered. Preliminary findings from the investigation are now known. The massive gate at the top of the dam spillway was allowed to open uncontrolled during maintenance. Despite promises of transparency, Metro Vancouver refused to answer any questions today. But in a release statement, did take responsibility for the unexpected release of water, saying at this point the accident appears to be human-caused. The statement from Metro Vancouver confirms the human error related to the programming of the control system for the spillway gate. An engineer who worked at the Cleveland Dam is puzzled at the scale of this error and at the safety measures in place. When you're working with something that has the consequences of a high risk of failure, then you have to design it so that it, it's a fail-safe system and can't fail, or a safe fail, where if it does fail, there's alarms and warnings and everything else. The regional district was told as early as 2002 by WorkSafe BC that a warning system should be installed. But according to Metro Vancouver, that recommendation was looked at and ultimately rejected. Because of the, the nature of the area, uh, that public warning system would be alerted um, or would go off quite regularly if its trigger is high flows. Metro Vancouver will now look at the feasibility of a warning system. The investigation into the accident continues. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A disturbing incident unfolded in Surrey early this morning, leaving a teenager in hospital in critical condition with a gunshot wound. Rumina Dea has more on why BC's police watchdog has been called in and the questions being raised by the victim's father. What led up to the shooting, we still don't know. The Independent Investigations Office is now involved. What we do know is a 17-year-old is in hospital with critical gunshot wounds. The teen's father has serious questions about the RCMP's version of what went down. At approximately 2.11 early Thursday morning, Surrey RCMP say they received a report of a possible robbery in progress near a business and a man with a knife was attempting to rob people. RCMP say the responding officer was pulling into a parking lot when a person opened fire. When the officer arrives, the report we have at this point, the initial report, was that the officer uh, received uh, shots fired in the officer's direction. Um, and then the report is that the individual turned the weapon on them, turned the firearm on themselves, and um, 
suffered uh, what we understand at this point to be life-threatening injuries. Did the officer discharge his weapon? Uh, that, of course, is part of our investigation. Uh, we, uh, we don't have any initial uh, indication that that was occurred, but obviously um, we, are going to, we are taking steps to confirm whether or not the officer uh, fired the we their weapon or not. There's absolutely no reason he would have killed himself, especially like that. I mean, it's just like the cop's story. It's, just, it's like a Hollywood movie. So you clearly have serious concerns about the police narrative. Oh, 110%. The shooting victim's father says his son was not suicidal. He says he's on life support and they've already signed the papers to donate his organs. Romina Dea, Global News. Burnaby RCMP needs your help to solve a number of arsons last weekend, including one that targeted two people living in a tent. Mounties have released dash cam video of two vehicles on fire at Beresford Street and Dow Avenue early Sunday morning. Another fire nearby involving a tent while two people were inside. Those individuals suffered minor burns putting it out. As officers investigated, three more vehicles were set ablaze just north of Central Boulevard on Bonser Avenue. Police say they were only partially burned because a witness confronted a suspect who then took off. If you witnessed anything connected to these arsons, you are asked to call Burnaby RCMP or Crime Stoppers. An emotional appeal today from the family of a man who was gunned down in broad daylight two years ago. Samit Randawa was shot in the driveway of a Surrey home on his 30th birthday. His heartbroken family says the crime has left a hole in their lives. Ted Trinecki has their tearful plea and video of the man police believe was involved. It'll be two years ago Sunday when Samit Randawa was gunned down on his driveway in the 6700 block of 130th Street in Surrey. It was his 30th birthday. Today his family marked the painful event by speaking publicly about their loss. When we remember that we will never see him become a husband and a father. Every day since October 11th, 2018, the day of his birthday, the day that someone violently murdered him, it has been a constant struggle to continue on without him. The integrated homicide investigation team says just before 2 p.m., a surveillance camera caught the occupants of a stolen black Hummer H3 exiting the vehicle and climbing into a blue Ford Focus. The man seen getting in is believed to have been involved in the hit. We believe there are people out there with information that will help us. We're appealing to those people, to the friends, to the close associates of Mr. Rondawa, to do the right thing and contact IHIT. It's never too late to reach out and do the right thing. The victim's sister also made a plea to the public and wanted to describe her brother as big-hearted. Looking at him, you would think he was intimidating due to his sheer size and his demeanor, but he truly was like a big teddy bear. IHIT says they did recover some evidence from the Hummer, but need to find that blue Ford Focus and or to hear from anyone with even the smallest detail about a hit they describe as targeted. Global News. Police are looking for more potential victims of an alleged pimp who was arrested in Surrey. 30-year-old Pierre-André Baptiste, also known as Bulu, was arrested by a Surrey RCMP in connection with the sexual exploitation of a 25-year-old woman in Quebec. He is charged with human trafficking, pimping and profiting from the sale of sexual services. Police suspect he has other victims and are asking anyone with information to call 911 or their local police. Baptiste is 5'9", weighs about 200 pounds and has various tattoos, including two tears below his right eye and a cross beneath his left eye. 
Vancouver City Council met today to consider options for the Strathcona Park homeless camp. City staff are looking into a number of possibilities, including leasing or buying hotel and apartment buildings. But while that was happening inside, a vocal group protested outside, leaving one independent councillor to wonder if the dire needs of the unhoused are being upstaged by activists. Has their own needs and things that they're looking for in housing. Veteran activist Fiona York leads a small group of Strathcona encampment residents in a protest on the steps of Vancouver City Hall. So it's been a tent city since about 2014 in, in Vancouver, so why is it suddenly an emergency now? Inside, council is considering allocating $30 million to lease or buy hotels and apartment buildings to house the homeless. But York and crew are not happy. They're looking at the situation in Strathcona Park as opposed to looking at the homelessness issue and the fact that there isn't enough housing for people, all of those in B.C. Another tent city isn't exactly what we want. We want permanent housing. Independent Councillor Rebecca Bly is critical of the hotel plan, but she also feels the city must do something. Doing nothing, she says, is no longer a humane option. And the reality is there are two things happening in the park. There are people who are seeking shelter and there is an element of a protest happening. Uh, the park encampment is called Camp KT for Kennedy Trudeau. While the Strathcona encampment has ballooned to more than 400 tents, BC Housing believes about 200 people at the park are currently homeless. This is not to go in and throw people out and see what we saw at Crab Park. There has to be some middle ground here, and it's the political will to, to meet in the middle and, and do what's right for the people. Nothing in my career prepared me for the murder of my husband in our driveway. A heart-wrenching appeal for an end to gun violence that tragically showed up at her own front door. That's later on the news hour. And recognize this urn, where it was found, and how you can help get it back to its rightful owner. That's later. Right now, though, it is widely expected the Canada-U.S. border will remain closed to non-essential travel for at least several more months. That's causing a huge disruption to the plans of tens of thousands of snowbirds. And as a result, RV parks on Vancouver Island and across southwest B.C. are seeing such big demand, they now have wait lists. We should go to the beach later this afternoon. Making plans to stay put this year. It's taking some getting used to for this couple who has traded the open road for a spot here. COVID came, which changed our plans completely. Karen and Kirby Stevens are the lucky ones. We're very fortunate to, to get a place anywhere on the island. Things are tight. Like This place just all of a sudden started filling up more and more and more. The 183 spots here at Oceanside RV Resort are all spoken for. It's unheard of for this time of year. Usually the snowbirds would be heading south for the winter. But with the border still closed, it seems they're flocking west. And so now we've got these last-minute people that haven't made plans, uh, expecting the border to be open and expecting still to go migrate down to the United States, wanting places to stay, and that's what's created the pressure. At this point, getting a spot could be nearly impossible. Many RV parks like this one are keeping cancellation lists, but here the number of names is already past 100, and I'm told maybe five will get a call. But there could be another option. The BC Hotel Association is working on a pilot project to address the surge in demand. We've put out a call to accommodators of all kinds, so motels, hotels, resorts, inns. I do think this bridging of demand and this new generation of demand 
could well serve us in the long run if we get it right the first time. It could be a win-win, both for the struggling hotel industry and the snowbirds still searching for accommodation. We are doing our best to try and uh, direct people to other properties that are open. We're really pulling together as a tourism community to try and find sites for everyone that does need to stay somewhere. As for this couple, they're just grateful to have found a spot and plan on making the most of their time here. This is the best place in the world. I have no doubt that that's why the island is so full. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Hi. Up ahead, heroes come in all sizes. A seven-year-old and how she saved herself and her mother after a devastating crash. That's next. Traffic is steady over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Do keep in mind, though, that overnight maintenance causes lane closures in both directions from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Kermat Collision and Autoglass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Richmond RCMP are asking for your help to find the owner of an urn found in Terranova Park last month. City employees discovered the small pear-colored urn on September 20th. It was in a plastic bag partially buried in soil near a fence. Police are hoping the urn's rightful owner will come forward. A special ceremony today in Squamish to honor a seven-year-old girl whose bravery may well have saved her mother's life. First responders paid tribute to Adelaide Prince, who showed courage and perseverance beyond her years after she and her mother found themselves at the bottom of an embankment. Jean Hua reports. And it was so scary to see. And I still I have no idea how she did that. At first glance, Adelaide Prince looks like a regular second grader. She loves to play in the water, is passionate about art, and above all else, adores her mom. I love my mom too much because I love Colleen. <laughs> Come on, little one. That last part is what transformed this seven-year-old into a pint-sized hero when their SUV was involved in a serious accident off the Sea to Sky Highway near Squamish on September 9th. I have flashes of crashing, hanging on an angle uh, from my seatbelt and not being able to get out. Shaken, barefoot, and no doubt afraid, Adelaide still pushed her way through a gap in the broken windshield. There were wet, mossy rocks. I put my feet on the small ones that are locked in. I almost tripped, but I um, got up the bank. Now to truly understand how amazing it was that Adelaide was able to climb up to the highway and get help, you first have to see how incredible it was that the seven-year-old and her mother survived this crash at all. As the vehicle made its way down this 30-foot embankment, it was literally being torn apart. The debris field pretty much covering this entire drop-off. I think she saved my life. Adelaide was able to wave down passerbys. First responders arrived soon after. As there were no witnesses, it may have taken a very long time for family, friends, and even police to realize what had happened. A month after the accident, Squamish RCMP now honoring this tiny savior. It feels a little bit weird, but also amazing. Despite injuries to her hands, mom is still here to give hugs. Thanks to her hero. Thank you, baby girl. John Hua, Global News. Well done. Still ahead, too much trauma for ER doctors. My boys ran out and found their dad shot in the cab of his truck. Health professionals speak up about a spike in gun violence and for some, 
it's personal. And Canada teams up with a major automaker to give a big boost to electric vehicles. 60 years of bringing you the stories that shape our history. 60 years of Global BC. In partnership with Connect Hearing, your hearing is important. Take care of it. Flow is out and traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Massey Tunnel this evening, but much like the Alex Fraser Bridge, there are lane closures for overnight maintenance. For 47 years, Kermat Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The federal and Ontario governments are chipping in some big money to mass-produce electric vehicles and the batteries that power them. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was joined virtually by Ontario Premier Doug Ford this morning. They're both making matching $250 million investments, part of a nearly $2 billion announcement following a deal between automaker Ford and Unifor. The union says retooling the Ford plant in Oakville, Ontario, will save thousands of jobs. Ford Canada's president and CEO says this is a huge milestone for both country and company. A North Okanagan cannabis company that had fallen on tough times is now hoping to avoid bankruptcy. Cannabis company True Leaf, based in Lumbee, landed in creditor protection earlier this year in an effort to avoid bankruptcy. It comes just two years after the company bought land to build a processing plant. Local officials were hoping it would bring jobs and boost the tax base, but despite building the facility, no cannabis has been grown there. And after the market declined, it became hard to secure much-needed capital. Local officials were hoping it would bring jobs and boost the tax base. For us, it's a huge concern. I mean, coming into town was a big deal for us. Like you said, there was a lot of excitement. 20 to 40 jobs and uh, to hear that they went into creditor protection was uh, concerning for us. I mean, it's, they're a huge tax contributor to the village as well, so there's, uh, there's that. But, um, you know, we're working with the group that's there to try and help them move forward and I, I understand they've got a plan to come out of creditor protection. True Leaf has now found new investment and has filed proposals to get out of creditor protection and avoid bankruptcy. The plan still needs approval from creditors and the courts. Well, with the escalation of gun violence across Metro Vancouver, a group of doctors is speaking out. They have witnessed the deadly ramifications of gang wars firsthand and are demanding urgent action and tougher gun restrictions. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, some know the tragic consequences all too well. A man is gunned down in Vancouver while carrying an infant. A 67-year-old man is shot several times in the middle of the night as he's sleeping and possibly is an innocent, unintended victim. Gun violence in Metro Vancouver spiking dramatically recently. Since September 14th, there have been at least 13 shootings, most believed to be gang-related. And soon as they get a phone call that the, their targets are in a specific spot, They'll go and kill them. They don't care if it's a daycare. Gang shootings like the ones we've seen in Metro Vancouver and gun violence across the country are prompting a day of action on October 20th by the group Canadian Doctors for Protection from Guns. In the United States, evidence-based dialogue on gun control has been obstructed by the National Rifle Association and its political partners. This has come at great cost. We cannot allow the same to occur here in Canada. 
In 2018, nurse Paul Bennett was shot and killed while in his driveway in Surrey. A case of mistaken identity involving a gang hit. His wife Darlene, also a nurse, is supporting the group's call to limit the proliferation of guns and the resulting devastation. It's a burden that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. And um, I, I just, I don't want that to be happening to another family. I, I don't want them to feel this pain and their children to, to witness such horrors that, you know, young people shouldn't see. Canadian doctors for protection from guns say the recent gun law changes by the federal government is a good start, but more needs to be done. They want a ban on all semi-automatic weapons, including handguns, changes to how guns are classified, and further measures to stop smuggling of illegal firearms into Canada. Action they believe is necessary to help stop the increasing bloody aftermath they witness as physicians. Things have to change. And this is a start. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. It's the biggest project in the province right now, the massive Site C Dam and the critical stage in construction it just passed. Plus... Oh, goodness. I'm sorry. I found that story really funny. The global news anchor with that famous laugh and the devastating disease that silenced dead hope. A major milestone in the construction of the Site C Dam project in northeast B.C. The Peace River is now partially flowing through two huge diversion tunnels to allow the dam to be built across the river's main channel. But as Paul Johnson reports, despite all of the progress on the multi-billion dollar project, opponents of Site C are still calling for the work to stop. And the river dropped as low as we've ever seen it. Peace River Valley farmer Ken Boone knew the diversion of the river was imminent, but didn't know exactly when, until he saw the river level drop Saturday and then a gathering of Site C workers in their hard hats at an overlook point. You know, you can see they were taking pictures and everything of it. Um, you know, obviously quite a moment for, for, for them. Indeed it was. The diversion of a big river is not only historic, it's a critical milestone in the completion of the Site C Dam project, rerouting the river through tunnels to make a dry zone where the main structure of the dam can be built. It's a major engineering achievement, but also a point of controversy. I think it is totally irresponsible, and uh, it, it should be brought to a halt. That's former BC Hydro CEO Mark Ellison who says the project should have been paused pending the results of a study about how to fix stability problems. His position was study first and then divert next. But that didn't square with the planning cycles of the project, which called for the diversion to happen this fall. On the campaign trail, Green Party leader Sonia Furstenau said to go ahead with the diversion under cover of an election shows a real trust issue with the NDP. But the B.C. Liberals, whose previous government greenlighted the project, said Site C needs to be completed to ensure our province's energy future. As for the NDP, whose watch the diversion happened on, they didn't respond to our request for comment. Most of our farmland is expropriated. For Ken Boone, whose family has farmed in the valley for generations, the diversion is personal. What was their best land will soon be underwater. It's a pretty sad thing to watch. Paul Johnson, Global News. 
All right, time to check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our weather forecast. Get your rain jackets ready. That's exactly right. So we didn't see much rain, if any, at all today. A nice little sliver of light in behind me, as you can see, but the sun is setting and the rain is about to push in. So here's a look at the rainfall warnings that are in effect. It includes Metro Vancouver, but just along the North Shore and certainly in through the House Sound region and the west parts of Vancouver Island. So that's how much rainfall we're expecting by Saturday morning. And here's a look at the distribution for the rest of the region. So significant rainfall, except for that east coast of Vancouver Island, areas like Victoria, not a lot for you. Here's the timeline. So it pushes in overnight. We'll likely see rainfall tomorrow morning. There's a chance certainly we could see some dry patches tomorrow. It's not going to be rainfall all day, but certainly periods of rain on and off with the heaviest rain likely for Metro Vancouver later in the day. So more towards the evening hours. For those of you in the interior, here's a look at the distribution. So central interior, Caribou region and North Columbia likely getting significant amounts, uh, 10 to 20 millimeters for you. Again, that is by the end of the day tomorrow. And a good reminder here, anytime you turn your wipers on, turn your lights on too to make sure your friends can see you on the roads and keep everyone safe. So the rainfall is from Terrace right through the central interior tomorrow down through the North Columbia. Uh, areas further south dry, but you'll see the rainfall on Saturday, that's for sure. And for the south coast, we will see that rainfall. But for Metro Vancouver, again, the heaviest through the afternoon hours tomorrow. So you may want to give yourself a little bit of extra time for your commute home. Saturday afternoon, some breaks of blue sky, but still a chance of showers with a risk of thunderstorms, but at least some breaks later Saturday. And tonight's sent for a windows weather window was picked by my son. He chose this fiery shot. This was the sunrise this morning in Summerlin. All right, well, so back to you. He chose well. That is gorgeous. Thanks, Christy. All right, Squire Barnes, the clock is ticking. Yes, it is. I know, it's about, mm, I don't know, 15 hours, if my math's correct. Um, three veteran Canucks are a lot closer to free agency. Pedersen on the ice. That hit the official open net. Markstrom! How did you see that? 9 a.m. deadline tomorrow. Marks from Tanev to Foley have not re-signed with the Canucks yet. And later, turning the camera onto one of our own. The heartbreaking diagnosis of former anchor Deb Hope. Set your clocks for 9 a.m. tomorrow, your alarm clock. <laughs> Be a lot of guys looking for gigs tomorrow. 9 a.m. NHL free agency begins. That's the deadline to sign your own impending free agents or watch them go to market. The Canucks right now have not signed Jacob Markstrom or Tyler Toffoli or Chris Tanev. Tanev looks to be heading to free agency for sure. No word on any serious talks between him and the Canucks. Toffoli looks to have one skate out of the door as well. They were still working on Markstrom yesterday, but that's looking like it's still not close. And as we know, the clock is running out. So if they don't sign any of them, that would save around, give or take, $12.5 in salary cap. Now, the NHL has said they are aiming for January 1st to start next season, but that's a floating date. The BCHL wants to start in December. But what about some of the other leagues, like the Western Hockey League and the kids who one day would like to play in those bigger leagues? After a seven-month break, it's game on again for kids who play minor hockey in B.C. For the past month or so, boys and girls have been back on the ice practicing, but now the go-ahead has been given to play games. It's not quite like old times, but it is a reason to cheer. Participants are restricted to participating in what we refer to now as phase three activity, which involves physical contact. 
And uh, they can do that with their own team and up to three other teams within a cohort. No player can play in more than one cohort at any given time. So that's how we've been able to transition. And ultimately what this does is establish a, a small trackable contact trace group. Hockey can get a little heated, especially at the elite levels, but for now there are special COVID rules to keep heads cool and safe. So we've come up with strict protocols for um, after the whistle stoppages where we normally see altercations. Uh, Players are are required to physically distance two metres immediately once a whistle goes to avoid unnecessary contact. Western League fans will have to wait a little longer to see their teams play. The junior franchises need paying customers in the stands, so until they get the go-ahead from the government that would allow at least limited fans, the league is in a holding pattern. How can you do that? It, it's worked. It's worked in the, the movie theaters. It's worked in restaurants. You know, it's worked in other businesses, so there's no reason why it can't work um, if the proper protocols are in place. Toy goes hopeful they can drop the puck on a new season before the new year. Barry Delay, Global Sports. Game three, Braves, Marlins, Braves win. They go to the NLCS. Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to come around the score here as Freddie Freeman puts this one in the gap. Braves going to the NLCS for the first time since 2001. They swept the Marlins in three straight, 7-0 in the final today. The Houston Astros got into the playoffs despite being below 500. That's because they expanded the number of teams getting into the playoffs, and they have taken advantage. They're not stealing signs this year, but they're still moving forward. Carlos Correa, the three-run homer here, as uh, they knock out the Oakland A's in four games. And there you go. All right. Thank you very much, Squire. Let's check in with Ann Drua for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. A vigil is being held tonight for a teenager who was fatally stabbed on a Surrey bus nine years ago. We'll hear from his father, who wants the case reopened. And a report out today suggests a quarter of Vancouver businesses don't expect to survive the next 12 months because of the pandemic. What can be done to save some of your favorite shops and restaurants from permanent closure? Those stories and more tonight at 11. Sophie? All right. Thank you, Ann. Up next, one of the hardest stories to tell about one of our own here at Global BC. Deb Hope's amazing career and devastating illness. Next. Global BC's 60th anniversary in partnership with Connect Hearing, the number one physician referred hearing provider. Well, as you know, we are one big family here at Global BC. And tonight, we're going to share a very personal story about one of our own. Deb Hope was one of the most well-known and loved anchors in BC for years. And many of you have wondered what happened to her after she left television. Tonight, with the help of her family, including her husband, Roger, who is a Global BC cameraman, we will share Deb's journey with Alzheimer's disease that struck her far too early. Her story is one many of you will understand from your own experience. Uh, well, Alzheimer's is, is, is horrific, as, as anyone who knows anything about it knows. And um, when we got it, um, I think you know, it was hard to take. But um, she was remarkable, really, how she, she handled it. I mean, she's, you know, she's still with us. It's not good. Um, she's in a facility now. Um, I'm proud of her, how she, how she handled it. Good afternoon and thanks for joining us. To those of us lucky enough to know and work with Deb, she was everything. Friend, mentor, brilliant reporter, amazing anchor, 
and an endless supply of energy. It is now 20 to 12. I have 20 minutes to do a story, get familiar with the rest of the program, and uh, get on to the set. Deb was one of the hardest working people in the newsroom. She was very proud of what she did, and I was proud of what she did as well. She was supremely good. And she was such a, a great reporter, and maybe even greater interviewer, I think. She was in some ways the conscience of the news hour. And what you got is what you saw. She wasn't an anchor princess. She was a genuine person with lots of love for real people. And when people would come up to her in, you know, out, out, in, out in the field or in public, as it were, you know, she, she was very respectful to everybody. And people responded to that in kind. The audience responded because in many ways, you knew things that we knew about Deb as colleagues like her sense of humor, which was coupled with the most infectious laugh we had ever heard. Oh my God, that laugh. Oh. She used to crack up on air. Oh goodness, I, I'm sorry, I found that story really funny. We better take a break, we'll be back with the weather forecast. She had a, a smile and a personality and a laugh that lit up a room. Again, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Super supportive with everybody, always in a good mood. Deb's just a beautiful person. She she's always uh, she was always friendly. She was always kind. She was the greatest audience for anyone who wanted to tell a joke. So it made sense that her and Roger's first date, which was really just them sitting beside each other at a function, included lots of laughs. You know, Deb was incredibly beautiful, and you know, way smarter than me. That's for sure. But it was the humor that that got me and got us, and we ended up laughing the, the entire night away together, like we were in a bubble, you know, and I think from that moment on, uh, we were together. Variety Club show of hearts. Her work Studio ethic extended one. to the many charities that she supported, including the SPCA, which was given a spot by Deb on the new news. As I say, I can't count the numbers of animals we've adopted because of her. Thousands upon thousands. <laughs> Eileen's oh. a little nervous. She She's made a difference in this world, of, in the world of animals and people. Before she retired in 2014, there were signs that something was different. We began to notice a few little stumbles and, and some squinting at the teleprompter. And at first I said to Deb, maybe you need new glasses. And she said, oh yeah, boss, that's it, that's it. But uh, I think we were all in denial. We, we did all talk about it. It had that family feeling, like we were all worried. You know, when, when Deb and I could still have a conversation, we, we decided that with cancer would have been better because, you know, with, with cancer, you, you know, you get a kick at, a, kick at the can and go down swinging. But, you know, with, with Alzheimer's, it's a different world. Deb is a stepmom, a mother, a grandmother. And her family was the luckiest of all because they got to know her best. Catherine on the left, Tobin, her husband. Dan is the next man in, and he's my son-in-law to my other daughter, Leah, who's with me. I'm in the center. That's Joe, my grandson, in front of Dan. And then there's Ella, my granddaughter. And then my daughter, Roxanne, her husband, Cody, and the beautiful and lovely Deborah. Honey, I miss you. Oh, we miss you too, Deb. If you would like to donate to the Alzheimer's Society of BC in Deb's honor or in anyone else's honor, you can do so online. 
alzbc.org slash donate. And for more information or support, you can call the First Link Dementia Helpline, 1-800-936-6033. The biggest thing that families need to know is that they are not alone, that the Alzheimer's Society of BC is here for you, that we um, have... Um, a dementia helpline where you can phone the dementia helpline and get answers to any questions you have, whether it's about wondering whether my sim- the symptoms I'm experiencing are dementia, how to get the help I need, or how to manage the situation of caring for a person with dementia. And thank you to Roger Hope for sharing Deb's story and uh, the whole family's story. Mm-hmm. Roger, of course, a global BC cameraman. Squire, great job on that story. Well, it was my honor, and um, if Roger didn't want to do it, we wouldn't have done it. So mm-hmm. for him to do it is tremendous. Yeah. We are a big family mm-hmm. here. We love you, Deb. All right, that's Sharon. all the time we have for tonight. Yeah, we miss her. We do miss her so much. She was great. Thank you for joining us. Have a good night.